Reconciliation Church, as we are preparing to hear from God's Word, I think it's appropriate for us right now to think of some people in the world who are suffering. People in Haiti, the death toll now over 700, but also what's taking place in Afghanistan. And so as we are preparing to come to God's Word and the freedom that you and I have to do that right now. I think it's very important for us to not only thank God that we have this opportunity, but to remember those who are hurting. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much that you have granted us the opportunity to, to worship together, that we have the ability to come together freely to learn of you. But Father, we also want to remember those who are now hurting. Within just the, the last few years, Lord, Haiti has experienced two devastating earthquakes. They're, they're, they're cleaning up the mess and continuing to find bodies. Lord, people are hurting. People are asking for answers. They're even probably crying out, Lord, how long? and our heart breaks with them. But Father, help us to remember that you're on the throne and that this did not catch you by surprise. As well as what's taking place in Afghanistan, Lord God, they are people over there who are made in your image and your likeness. Lord, there are people even there who call on your name. Lord, you see them. And Father, I ask, I ask that you bring comfort. I ask that you bring healing. I ask that you bring peace. I know ultimately that what I'm asking for will only take place, Lord Jesus, when you return. And so as a believer, and I pray that we all, all of us who call on your name, that we would say, come Lord Jesus, come. Come. But while we wait, Lord, and in this moment, Give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you have to say to us in your word. We ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I want to say good evening to everyone who braved the weather uh, to come here. Um, but again, I'm grateful to have an opportunity to worship with you. If you're new, my name is Russell, Pastor Russell McCutcheon. I'm the lead pastor here, and I'm excited that I get the opportunity to open God's word and to ask you to join me as I traverse the text. And, 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 and as, as I have spent time learning from the text, I would love for you to uh, join me on this journey. But before I get to the word of God, one thing I want to point out, uh, for those of you who would like to join us, next weekend in evangelizing. The announcement is in your, your bulletin. Um, the men, we are going to go on August the 21st, 10 a.m. to Moore Square. Um, if you plan on uh, joining us next week, today, after service, once everything is torn down, not before that, once we get everything torn down and put up, then for a few minutes, I want us to meet out in the lobby to talk about that time and what, what to expect on that day. So after service, if the Lord has laid it on your heart, or even if you're afraid, 
And you say, I'm scared out of my wits, but I want to join. Come rock with your boy. Um, because sometimes I can feel that trepidation as well. But I'm looking forward to God using this opportunity for us to just even share the gospel with those who need to hear it. That's our goal. So after service, after everything is torn down, meet me in the lobby if you would like to join us. Today our text is coming from Mark chapter 8, verses 20 through, 22 through 26. It is in your worship guide. Mark chapter 8, verses 22 through 26. This is what Mark wrote to the people of God. He said, they came to Bethsaida. They brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and brought him out of the village, spitting on his eyes and laying his hands on him. He asked him, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking. Again, Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes. The man looked intently and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Then he sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. In 2010, my wife and I had moved to our new city. This was Memphis, Tennessee, and we ended up working closely with each other. We didn't work for the same organization, but there was one parent company, an organization that was over us both. And there was some training that we had to go through. And to be honest with you, I thought most of this training was rubbish. I'm like, why am I in this training? For what? I heard this before. What are we doing? But it was one particular class that we went through that totally transformed and changed our lives. It was a class taught by Roy Soup Campbell, the man that pours into me, his wife pours into my wife. And he was teaching on Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Now, again, because I'm a Christian and I'm a good Southern Christian, I heard the Great Commission referenced before. But had I ever studied it? No. And he is standing up and he's talking in a way that is both, he got me captivated. I'm like, tell me more. But it also scared me and challenged me. I'm like, stop. Because this is too much. I'm trying to inhale it. I'm trying to take it in. He was not trying to speak in a way to impress us. He wasn't doing that. He was really calling us up to the biblical standard to begin to obey it. So uh, time goes on and he called my wife and I, he called me and invited my wife and I to this, to this couple's disciple making. It was at a doctor's house and it was a bunch of couples in his house and the man who discipled Soup was standing up and he was teaching. He taught for two hours on one verse, Acts chapter 1 verse 8. And he is walking through this. And again, my wife and I, we're looking at one another and I'm like, and slowly we'll begin to say, I, we, we, we understand more. There was a progression in our understanding. And, and so when we left there, then Soup then contacted me and asked me to go to the prison with him. Because then he would play basketball once a month and he knew that was my background. And at first I was afraid, but then I did go and play, but it was not about the basketball. It was about then seeing those men who were discipled by him in the prison. Again, my eyes are being opened, and I'm seeing that not even 
physical bars can stop the mandate that God has given to his people and they are obeying. And then he asked me if my wife and I would like to go to Southeast Asia. We took an opportunity and we went on this trip. See the progression. I didn't understand what Matthew 28, 18 through 20, what it meant. He walked us through it. Then he had us go and listen to someone teach on Acts 1, 8 that's, that's connected to Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Then I go to a prison and I begin to see it fleshed out. And then I go to the other side of the world and see the same thing happening over there that's happening in Memphis, Tennessee. You see, when you see something, you can't unsee it. For the better or worse, when you see something, you cannot unsee it. When we come to the word of God, we must come expecting that we're going to receive something. I know that we treat God's word like a daily devotion. And I just have to read it and move on. But how many of you come to God's word expecting God to meet you in that moment? Expecting that he would open your eyes. I think that's how we need to approach it because I believe a defining mark for us as Christians should be that we are teachable. That we are teachable and that we would continue to grow and learn. At the moment that you don't grow is when you start to die. We must be teachable. I always want the heart of a learner. How about you? What is it? Do, do you want or do you have the heart of a learner that when you come to God in his word, you get in prayer and say, Lord, meet me by your spirit. I need to know. Even those scriptures that you have read a hundred times and you think you've already gleaned what you need to glean from that. Can God show you more? Have you ever studied something in the text that totally challenged you? Have you ever, have you come to the text and you read that and be just like, I don't understand that. Uh, I don't know about that. But it's, it's challenging your very being. You see, when I started to learn that the biblical writer's context is not my context. And that they had an intended meaning that was foreign to the way I was thinking. Are you following me? Their context is not my context and their intended meaning is foreign to the meaning I am trying to impose on the text. That was a level of, of discomfort because I could not accommodate what they were writing. I was uncomfortable. But as I continued to study, things would become clearer and I would understand. And I would want to go back and understand more. You see, I pray that you and I will always want to grow in our understanding of who God is from his word. Why am I mentioning that? Because last week we encountered two groups of people. We encountered the Pharisees and the disciples. The Pharisees were that group that totally rejected Jesus and his mission. They were people who felt like they knew the word of God, that they were the custodians of the things of God. And yet they rejected the very word that they said that they believed. John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This very word that they said that they believed was now dwelling among them and they rejected that word. 
the disciples, they were following Jesus. They believed Jesus, but they had great difficulty understanding Jesus and his mission. Today, we will encounter Jesus engaging and healing a blind man. A group of people brought him to Jesus to be healed of his blindness. Jesus healed this man, but this healing was different. I hope you saw it in the text. This healing was different from the other healings. So as we look at this pericope or this, this story, forgive me for those words, y'all. I went to seminary and sometimes I feel like I got to use seminarian words every now and then. Uh, so as we look at this story, we must understand this, that Jesus has total authority at the physical and the spiritual level. He has total authority at the physical and the spiritual levels. Nothing is outside of his control. He alone reigns. He alone has the power to physically heal someone. So is it wrong for us to pray for physical healing? Absolutely not. Because he could do it. He could do it. He also has the power to save people from sin. You know, we often and we must do this. We, we want to pray for those who are far from God, who does not know God in the person of Jesus Christ. We pray for them to come to faith. Why? Because Jesus died to save. And he is able by the power of his spirit to save. His power is unlimited. But yet when I look at this, I look at myself and realize how easy it is for me to trust in those who are finite, like myself. He has all power. He's unlimited in his work. And yet I want to trust in those who are limited. Are you like that? Are you like that? See, God's word warns us against trusting in man-made power. Jeremiah 17 and 5 says it this way. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the person who trusts in mankind. He makes human flesh his strength and his heart turns from the Lord. You see, this blind man and the crowd, they were impotent to deal with this man's issue. They cared enough about this man to bring him to the one who is able to deal with this problem. And it was his blindness. But when we look at this healing, Jesus progressively healed this man. He didn't instantaneously heal him. He progressively healed him. Many scholars believe that this healing was not just for this man, but it was also for the disciples. Connect the story. Jesus is now dealing with the disciples' spiritual blindness. Remember last week, Jesus says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they said, we ain't bring no bread. And Jesus says, you don't understand yet? So Jesus is now on this trajectory of bringing these disciples up to give them spiritual sight. Like this blind man, their enlightenment would not come in a single instance. It would come in stages. Now I want you to think about yourself. Has your spiritual life been one of stages? Growing in stages? You didn't get it all at once. As a matter of fact, dare I say it, you are still growing. I am still growing. It's progressive. 
Now, their sight, the disciples would be clear once Jesus was raised from the dead. Now they see, I see it clearly. And you and I, again, I continue to say this, you and I are here today because they had the clarity to see, of G see Jesus and who he was and obey what he told them to do. And that is go make disciples of all nations. Go share your faith, evangelize. So again, there is progression in our to our understanding of Jesus. The text informs us in verse 22, the very first verse. It says, they came to Bethsaida. Again, remember the situation. Jesus was in this area in the western side of the Sea of Galilee, and he engages Pharisees. But when he rejected talking to the Pharisees anymore, he got into a boat with his disciples and they are going back across. But on the boat, Jesus, again, I believe he's reflecting on his encounter with the Pharisees and he just says to them, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And the disciples are looking at one another like, man, we ain't got number one loaf. We ain't got but one loaf of bread, and they missed it. The very bread of life is in the boat with them. Jesus ain't worried about bread. He could drop biscuits from the sky with good butter and syrup. He could do it. But they are talking about we only have one loaf. And so they're coming across the Sea of Galilee, and they arrive at Bethsaida, Bethsaida is a fisherman's town. If you have read in the scriptures, this is the place where Peter, Andrew, and Philip were from. So it's like they're going back home for a moment. So Mark says that they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. We are not told who they are. We don't know who this crowd is. We, 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 we don't know anything of, of, of what caused them to say, let's take him to Jesus. We don't even know how they knew Jesus was coming across the sea or when they encountered or when they found out. We just see in the text that they brought a blind man to him. But now I'm thinking about Peter, Andrew, and Philip. I'm wondering as the crowd is coming, if they're looking at people in the crowd and say, I know him. I know her. I, this blind man, I, I grew up with him. I mean, I, I don't know, but I'm just in my mind's eye wondering what a few of these disciples are experiencing as this crowd is bringing this blind man to Jesus. Remember, Jesus had just, rebu just finished rebuking the disciples for their lack of spiritual sight. They did not understand Jesus nor his mission, and he rebuked them. And now here is a blind man in their presence. You see, it's bad enough when someone is physically blind. But it's worse, I believe, when someone is spiritually blind. When they have natural sight but cannot see what's taking place in their lives spiritually. See, when one is blind, they lack the ability to see. The disciples lack the ability to see spiritually. And this is what Jesus wanted to deal with. He wanted to deal with their blindness. This is why he came to earth. Jesus summed up his ministry in Luke 4 when he said this. He said, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. 
to set the free, uh, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus came to give spiritual sight, but we have a great adversary. God has a great adversary. We call him Satan. And he wants people to be and to stay blind. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. He said, but if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. There are millions of people on the planet today who are blinded. They can't see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You see, from the very beginning, Satan had determined to thwart the very plans of God. But here's the truth, y'all. He can't. He can't. And yet there are still people who are living life thinking that their life is good, but they're going in the wrong direction. They're perishing. The story is told of these two farmers, Farmer Dale and Farmer Pete, who they were neighbors and they loved each other. They loved each other. But every year they had to compete. They had to show one another up like I'm the best at this. And, 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 and Farmer Pete always beat Farmer Dale every year, every year. So both of them had horses. And so Farmer Dale comes up with, let's race our horses. They're like, let's do it. So what Farmer Pete didn't know is that Farmer Dale went and got a, a professional jockey to ride the horse. Farmer Pete just gets a, a regular person, get on the horse, and they race. The horses take off. Farmer Dale, the professional jockey, horse takes off, and Farmer Dale is getting giddy, like, yeah, we're about to win it this year. It's on. But as they are turning, both of the horses get their legs tangled. They fall. Horses fall, the jockeys fall. And so they're on the side like, get up, get up, get on the horse, get up, get up, get up. So Farmer Dale's jockey gets up and jumps on a horse and takes off, crosses the line first. And so Farmer Dale is on the side and he is over there ecstatic and he is at a boy and I finally won. Then those finally ones turned into tears and he started crying. So Farmer Pete comes up to him and he says, why are you crying? You finally won. He says, my jockey got on your horse. So I lost. I didn't win. My friends, wouldn't it be tragic after going so hard and fast as you could in this life to cross the finish line into eternity to only discover that you were riding the wrong horse? Wouldn't this be tragic? Wouldn't it be tragic after you've done the best you could and tried as hard as you could, even coming to church, singing songs hard, the anthem, hallelujah, just, just doing it all, serving, but serving and doing these things from your own strength just to realize when you cross over to eternity, it all meant nothing for you. Wouldn't this be tragic? Crossing the finish line, laughing only to begin to cry, realizing that you are separated from God. I thought about this is because, and I don't look down on anyone because this was me. 
I'm coming into a space like this. I call myself worshiping, but I'm just as blind as a bat. I can't see anything of the things of God. And I'm thinking because I came to a service that God accepts that. But the truth is, I was riding the wrong horse. I was going in the wrong direction. But notice what the text says. In verses 23 and 24, it says, he took the blind man by the hand and brought him out of the village. Spitting on his eyes and laying his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking. Notice the details of this story. This is beautiful. Mark has given us a very vivid picture. We are told that Jesus spit in the man's eyes. Some sources suggest that spit was sometimes associated with healing, but it was also considered by many to be disgusting. Imagine, like in our day, don't come spit on me. Period. No, I think my wife told me it's a crime now. Like it's even a crime. Like, come up and spit on me. We're about to move some furniture. But this man, the text says that Jesus spit in his eyes. Now, maybe when you read this, your skin crawls. And maybe you ask yourself, Jesus, could you have done this another way? Without the spitting. But this is what Jesus did. Now, this is the only instance in the gospel where there is two-stage healing. It's the only instance. All of the other occurrences of healing, they were instant. Remember them. The woman with an issue of blood touched just the hem of his garment. Her flow of blood stopped instantly. You had people come to Jesus and they had probably walked miles and walked for days. And as they were going, uh, as, as they engaged Jesus, Jesus healed. And when the person got back home, they would say, at what time did it happen that the person was healed? It said at this hour. And that person realized it was at the very same hour that Jesus says, go your way. Like this was instant healing. But here, there was a degree of healing. Does this mean that Jesus had trouble healing this man? Does it mean that he healed and, oh, it didn't work, so he had to double back? This is how some people may try to read this, but that's totally not what this means. Remember, this story is tied to the disciples' inability to see spiritually and to see Jesus correctly. Not only is Jesus healing this man's blindness progressively, but he will deal with the disciples' blindness progressively. He's going to heal them progressively. You see, the man said to Jesus here that he could see, but not perfectly. He could see, but not perfectly. He could see objects moving, understanding that they were people, but he said that they looked like trees walking. He couldn't identify them. This man shows us that we are unable to see spiritually on our own. We are unable. On our own, we can't do it. We need Jesus by the Spirit to open our eyes. And if you're in Christ today, that has happened. That has happened. And then God opened our eyes, theologians, and we refer to this as the doctrine of illumination. 
the doctrine of illumination. Theologian John Frame describes illumination as this. He says, not only does the spirit inspire the Bible, he also illuminates it to its read, illuminates it to its readers. Scripture teaches that apart from God's grace, it is impossible for us to appropriate God's word for our salvation. Let me say that again. Apart from God's grace, it is impossible for us to appropriate God's word for our salvation. As with natural revelation in Romans 1, our sinful inclination is to suppress the truth to exchange it for a lie. So Paul says that when the Jews read the law of Moses without Christ, a veil lies over their hearts. In such darkness, we need God's light to see his word properly. The psalmist would write in Psalm 119 and verse 18 and say it this way. His prayer was, open my eyes that I may contemplate wondrous things from your instruction. So this man could not see properly. He could see where he was totally blind. There was a progression that he could see something, but he couldn't make it out. It seemed like the people seemed like trees to him. But in verse 25, we are told, again, Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes. First of all, let me say this. I think it's beautiful in scripture. We see Jesus touching the destitute. Touching the hurting. Like he's not distant, but he is close to put hands on. I'm thinking about the leper who probably hadn't been touched in years. He could not be touched because of his disease. The Bible says that Jesus touched him. Here we see a second time that Jesus placed his hands on this man. It says on, the, on his eyes. Then the text says the man looked intently and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Jesus touched this man, this second touch. Enable this man now to have clear sight. His sight was fully restored. He had eyes uh, that were uh, totally healthy and had the proper function. His cure was now complete. It was complete. Notice the progression. This man went from being totally blind. He can't see a thing. To seeing partially. To fully seeing. Isn't this the progression of the disciples? Isn't this their progression? Jesus says, and we, we just saw this in the verses last week, y'all don't understand yet? You, you don't understand? You, you're blind. We're going to see next week where their eyes, they, they will get partial sight. We're going to see that. And then when Jesus is raised from the dead, their sight would be clear. But I think this is also what happens in our lives. You see, when, we, when you look at your life, do you recognize, do I recognize that I'm a lot like the disciples? I'm a lot like them. See, there was a time in your life and my life where we were blind, totally blind to who Jesus is. Now, I get it. Some of you may say, yeah, there was not a time in my life that I don't remember being in the faith Praise God. I can't talk to that experience. The only thing I can do is point to Ephesians chapter 2 that says every human is born dead in trespasses and sins. That's what I got to go to. 
And I realize that every human being that is born a sinner, something is wrong. There is a separation between the holy God and myself. The Bible talks about like we don't even have the ability to see. Romans 1 give, paints a bad picture of humanity, not even wanting to worship God, but want to suppress the truth. See, I'm, I was like the disciples. I was like the disciples. But then there came a time without my help that Jesus invaded my life. He invaded my life. He saved me. And there's those things I did not understand. Now I'm beginning to wait. I, 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 can, almost, I can almost go back to the day that I, I understood the, do, the, the doctrine of substitution. That I belonged on the cross. When I, when I first became a Christian, that was a non-category for me. I'm just thinking, yeah, Jesus died. I'm saved. But then it hit me once I learned, like, oh, I deserve that death. I deserve that death. And so then he, he rescued me, but, and then I continue to learn, but then, if I'm honest, I still have questions. I still have questions. I may ask God, if you're good, if you're good and you're all-powerful, why don't you deal with this issue of sin in our world? God, if you're good, why did you allow this earthquake to take place in Haiti? God, if you're, you're good and you're all-powerful, why do we continue to see injustice? Why do we continue to have racism? Why do we continue to see people violated based on gender? Why do we treat people as less than human? So I, don't, I, don't, I don't have an understanding of that. It's still, I'm progressively, but I'm, I'm trusting in, in the Lord. I'm trusting in his word. But these are still questions I have. Do you have questions? Do you have them? Again, we, we're still living this life out. And everything is not answered. But even without having the answer, I hope that you and I will trust that and know that Jesus right now is sitting at the right hand of the Father. He is on the throne. He is ruling. Right now. And I love what Paul was saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 12. He says, for now uh, we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully as I am fully known. That's coming the day when our eyes are going to be open. We, 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 we're going to have clarity. Right now, if you're like me, spiritually, we, we need some glasses, some bifocals. And we still can't even see clearly. But that's coming the day where all this stuff will be removed. Spiritually, we're going to see as we need to see in my and y'all this make me want to shout we have an eternity to be with Jesus no more pain no more suffering no more earthquakes no more cancer no more multiple sclerosis or anything that all that's going to be done away with and the only injury we will see is the ones in his hand Because we're going to have a new body. 
We'll see the, the, the holes in his hands and his side and his feet. Reminding us that he did this for us. But until that day, we still got questions. There's still things that we need to understand and, and we have to continue to come to his word. And sometimes, y'all, I, I, I have to be honest, like I'm saying, I just don't get it. I don't get it. Have, have you ever talked to a person that's like a, either has a PhD or they're PhD type? And, and, and you realize real quick as you're talking to them and you're, and you know, again, we, we nice with it. But while we nodding our head, like, like I get it, in the, in the inside, you're like, I don't have a clue of what you're talking about. Why? Because they're talking on a whole different plane. They're talking about stuff that we don't even understand. See, at the heart of many of our dilemmas is our inability to know God's ways. See, the Bible says that God's ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts higher than our thoughts. They're not only bigger, but they are higher. His thoughts are on a whole nother level. And I think that's why we have to trust him and his word, because we have all these questions about why, 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 why. We're asking questions to God. Like where we only see, again, uh, I come from an area, my wife, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give New Orleans kudos. Like Mardi Gras was founded in my hometown, but we didn't master it. New Orleans mastered it. But if you ever went to a parade, if you go to a parade, you can only see what's in front of you. You can't see the whole, the, 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 the totality of the parade, the streets that they're on. All you can see is the segment in front of you. Y'all, we're looking at life in segments. When God is high above, he sees it all as it's happening. And we want to question him about why, 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 when we don't have the proper perspective. But that's our dilemma. We may not understand everything now. We may not. But however, as we continue to seek the Lord in his word, in prayer, and in being in community with each other, we will progressively understand more by his spirit. We will continue to grow. Until that day. Where he takes us to be with him. And all things will become clear. We know that day is coming. Where we will understand better. But today it may be hard. It may be hard in the midst of all the pains, but when the difficulties are past, we will thank God. When the difficulties are past, we're going to thank him. I believe we're going to thank God for every tear and every fear. I believe that we will thank him for every sorrow and every sigh. I believe we will thank him for every loneliness and every weakness. Because he's going to fix it. We don't have a blueprint. All we have is a prospectus. But we, because we have the word of God, we know how this will end. Let's pray. Father, I thank you uh, that we see the Lord Jesus work and progressively giving sight to the disciples. And, in, and, and you work in our lives in that way. I thank you that, Lord Jesus, that you didn't give up on the disciples. 
where you rejected the Pharisees because of their hard hearts and their unbelief, you continue to walk with the disciples and to give them understanding. I pray we will be like the disciples, want to continue to pursue and to follow you, trusting by your spirit that you give, give us eyes to see. So, Lord God, an application for us, there are a myriad of things that we can apply here, but I pray that your words here in Mark chapter 8, verses 22 to 26, would move us to be students of your word, that we would spend time in the book, not just devotion to say it's a check off, but that we would get down and seek to understand what your word says. So, Lord, thank you. Thank you for what you've given us in your word. In Christ's name. Amen.